Amen. Uh, I love those blessed interruptions. Most of you would not know we had technical difficulties with the sound all day yesterday. And so, but we get to hear everyone sing. It was beautiful and uh, goosebumps sitting in the front row and in the back hearing everyone sing. So great preparation to preach as we praise our God and lift up our voices. And so hopefully every time we open the word, that is what drives our heart to respond in, in worship. So if you've been here for a while, if you're here for the first time, this is the last poem in the introduction of Proverbs. Uh, this is the final appeal of wisdom before the Proverbs of Solomon begin in chapter 10. And additionally, it's a summary of all that's, that's come before told in story form. Also, what we're going to see this morning, this, uh, or, or really over the next two weeks, but this poem is a parallel to the gospel call, and it will point us forward to what Christ beckons us to. So before we, we get there, I want you to see what's going on here. As with many of the Hebrew poems, if you miss the structure, you miss the author's intent. So over the next two weeks, we're going to show you the brilliance of, of Hebrew poetry. Uh, there is uh, a story being told here over the next 18 verses. And you've got three stanzas. Each of them are exactly six verses. Each of them are exactly six lines in the Hebrew. And you've got two contrasting women. This week, we're going to look at Lady Wisdom and the feast that she prepares and the home that she prepares for her guests. Next week, we're going to look at Lady Folly, the feast that she prepares and her home as she prepares it. But right in the middle is the application and the examination with which to understand both. So right slab in the middle, verses 7 through 12 are going to be our application for this week and for next week. Um, and so what we're going to see in both of these weeks is the, the parallel details. Each has the same location. This is a woman calling from her home. Each has the same preparation. A meal is being prepared. Each has the same invitation, calling to the simple to come into her home. And each has a conclusion. And the conclusion, one is to life and one is to death. Everything that we've seen in Proverbs so far. This poem has three objects of consideration. This is addressed to the simple. The simple is the, the undecided young man who is yet to be persuaded by either woman. But in our application, it's going to contrast the wicked and the wise. The wicked and the wise have already decided. They have already established themselves. And so when the father presents this poem, the implication is that the son is still simple. Son, I know you're simple. I know you're young, but there are two women out there, two competing worldviews. There are two enticements. Which one will you listen to? Which feast will you attend? So this is a call of self-examination to the son. The choice should be obvious, but especially as we get into next week, the choice is not that obvious in our flesh. So I'm actually going to read the entire chapter. Um, but we will focus on 1 through 12. And so I want you to see how this is, this is laid out. So we're in Proverbs 9. I'm going to read 1 through 18. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. 
Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to the wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that, they're, that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word. It is timeless. It is without error and it is without failing. Lord, let your word examine and expose us. May we be convicted by it and encouraged by it. May we be broken down in our self-proclaimed wisdom that we may repent and be humbled and become wise in your eyes because we fear you, because we love you. Ask that your spirit would work in our minds and hearts this morning, that you would bring to remembrance the person and work of Christ, that in your scriptures we would learn the character of our God we would learn the character of ourselves and we would cry out to our Lord and Savior and come to his feast that we may eat with him forever. And it is in his name we pray, amen. So as we kind of approach these next two weeks, I want you to think about what makes a good host or hostess. When you think of the most comfortable place you've ever stayed, the most inviting person who's ever welcomed you into, your, into their house, who do you think of? Who is the most terrible host you have ever experienced? You ever had that time where someone welcomes you in and from the moment you get there, you can't wait to leave? This doesn't feel like home, this feels like torture. Two of those came to mind. One of them is my aunt. Um, who died the end of 2019, the most godly woman I have ever met. Before we came, she would, she would find out what our favorite coffee was. She would ask us what we wanted to eat. She would shop for us. If we didn't like things, they wouldn't be in the house. She would wake up early. And so when we came down, the breakfast table would, would be laid out. Eggs and bacon over here, yogurt and granola over here, we could not possibly eat it all, but whatever we wanted was there. And when we ate, she would look into our eyes and she would listen. She was so engaged whenever you talk. It was like we were, we were at home. True family. She loved us because she loved Christ. She served everyone because she was a servant of Christ. 
And going there was always a highlight for us because we would just sit around and talk for hours. And we would eat well, too. She was a great hostess. I grew up with a friend, um, and I will not say names to leave the uh, guilty unmentioned, um, but a good friend growing up whose mother was probably quite the opposite. Um, when you walk in the house, she would rarely recognize you, acknowledge you. Maybe she would insult you if she acknowledged you. Um, it was not a welcoming home. She did not shop before we came there. She didn't shop ever. The refrigerator, my college refrigerator, looked much more inviting than theirs did. There were some hot dogs and some American sliced cheese and some crackers in the cupboard. That was, that was pretty much it. Uh, if we would travel with them uh, or we would go work with them, like they would put us to work and we have to buy our own food, we have to fend for ourselves. Um, we went because it was, it was our, our friend's house, but we didn't go there because she was hospitable. Um, and it was just always, that would just always stick with me. So when you think of those two examples, and everyone's got them. Everyone's got the, the, the great hospitable person and the person you're like, yeah, I'm going to eat before I come. Uh, we, we all know those, those people. So just like the poem before us, the choice is supposed to be obvious. I mean, when you read this, this is clear. Yeah, of course, you're going to choose the first one. We won't get into it as much this week. But the thing is, both these women have a call. Wisdom calls to the spirit. But the lady folly calls to the flesh. And so when we get to her next week, you're going to see that that is a lot more enticing than, than we really want to admit. All right, so let's begin with Lady Wisdom. Verse 1. So uh, I want to read the, the first three verses. I want to read this, this, this preparation, and then I want you to kind of uh, put yourself in that place for a moment. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to us. This may seem ordinary. Okay, like she's putting a meal together. She's inviting people in. Let's, we don't really understand that feasts are a common thing for us. If most people throughout most of history came to our Wednesday night Bible study, they would, they would say, you are having a feast. For us, it's just a Wednesday night or a Sunday afternoon. So for people in that day, feasts were very rare. So if you had a stately manner and you had servants to send people out, you were the exception. There were very few of you. So if you got invited to one of these, it's a big deal because the average, the average um, poor person, the average common person would never get invited to one of these. If they did, it was maybe once a year. Maybe they got invited to a wedding, maybe twice. But for the average person, you would never step in a manner like this. It wasn't like us where we can drive through neighborhoods and streets of mansions upon mansions. If there was someone who had a home like this, everyone would know it. And it, might, it would probably be the only one. And so this is meant to stick out to them. The other thing here, too, is the average meal then was very humble. The average meal consisted of bread and grains, vegetables and herbs. Meat was rare. We think that 
No, I didn't mean to say that, but meat should be more medium rare. Yeah, someone chuckled at that. Um, so we think, oh yeah, I have to have meat at every meal. We have sausage for, for breakfast, we have turkey for, for, for lunch, we have steak for dinner. That's just normal. It, it, you didn't often slaughter animals for, for, for sacrifices at the festivals, but meat was not a regular daily occurrence. So when someone slaughters an animal, it's a big deal. This is an honored invite. And so um, this idea of, of feasting is reoccurring throughout Scripture. It's to get the reader's attention because most of the original readers of the, of the Scripture had never been to a feast like this. And if they did, it was the highlight of their life or their year. So this is a big deal to them. And so we, we got to kind of step out of our 21st century mindset. Like We have more food and we have more opportunities than anyone in, in, in history ever has. And so for someone in a culture like theirs, a, a, a poor people, this is a lot more appealing than it would be to us. So, so think about that as we begin. So I want to work through each of these, these details briefly. She has built her house. It tells us she's industrious and she's hardworking. This woman can build. She has put something together uh, that, is, that, is, that is worthy of admiring. In the house, she has hewn or uh, built, crafted her seven pillars. The number here is not literal, it is representative. If you've been around for a while, anytime you see the number seven in scripture is a number of completeness, the number of perfection. What's said here is that this house has the complete number of columns. It is big enough and it is strong enough to hold whoever is invited. This is a mansion. This is, this is uh, worthy of awe and admiration. And in this house, she has slaughtered her beasts. Again, you didn't slaughter animals every day. This is a sign that she is wealthy. She didn't just slaughter one animal. She slaughtered her beasts. She slaughtered them all. She's leaving nothing out in the pasture. She is, she is preparing a feast for her guests. And she mixes her wine. She's a sommelier. She puts the very best blend together for her guests. She is is catering the drink to those who will come and dine with her. She has thought of everything. She also has set her table. All of your seats are assigned. Your your places are, are, are laid out. She is the queen of hospitality. She is not missed any detail for her guests. And she's paying attention to every detail for this, this banquet, this buffet of pleasing, life-giving instruction. When we get to chapter 10, that's when the buffet begins. And so she is setting this up. She's, she's calling the simple in. In order to bring the simple in, she sends out her maidens, these, these young women, her young women uh, who are her messengers, she, so anytime you see young women, um, it is usually associated with innocence and with, and with purity. And so she's sending out these, these pure messengers, her representatives, to call in the simple. And they go to the highest places. Now the highest places in town, these are the, the vantage points. This is where you have military strategy, you have full visibility, not in the shadows, but they're also revered. These are the the high and holy places. So this call that they are giving, it's a high call. 
This is a most honored invitation. This invitation is not to be missed, is not to be refused. There is nothing you can read in here that says, nah, I'll wait for the next one. There is no other one. This is the invitation. And this prefigures or looks forward to the gospel call. This general call that that, that goes out. Um, And I want us to look at that in Luke 14. Uh, This is a perfect parallel pointing to Luke 14. So uh, all of our references are going to be in the gospels today. So have your Bibles. If not, there's one in front of you. Turn to Luke 14, the third gospel. Luke 14, uh, verse, I'm going to start in verse 16. Notice the, the similarities here. Luke 14, 16. A man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent out his servant to say to those who've been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Sound familiar? But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Stupid excuse number one. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Stupid excuse number two. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. It's not stupid, but bring your wife, stupid. Um, So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and there is still room. Wisdom's house is big enough to accommodate, accommodate everyone who will come. And the master said to the servant, go out in the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. This house was made and prepared to be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This gospel call, this invitation has gone out. Wisdom is calling you to the master of the feast. And how many have made excuses? How many of you are still making excuses? And they are stupid excuses. Wisdom sends out her messengers. We'll get into those messengers in just a moment. But she calls in. Everything is prepared. Everything's ready. This is not to be missed. How often have we given this invitation, given this call, and people tell us, well, I've got better things to do. I'd rather be over here. Sounds nice for you, but I'm not interested. This is what the Father's saying. This is not to be missed. This is the invitation of all invitation. How could you not accept this? How could you make excuses? And so when we think of this invitation going out, this should bring to mind the effort and lengths that our Heavenly Father has gone to to draw us. Wisdom preparing this house is a small version of what the Father has done. Think about this. The Father created a world to show us his bounty to draw attention to his glory. He sent his son to show us his mercy. He gave us his word to give us certainty. He built his church to show us family. He sends out preachers and evangelists to give us opportunity, to invite us to feast with him in peace and unity and luxury. And he sends his spirit to preserve us for glory. 
The Father has shown us bounty and mercy and certainty and family and opportunity and glory. What a great feast he has prepared. Are you still making excuses? Are you still saying, yeah, I know all that. I've had a little taste of that. It's good, but I've got other things to do. I hear you. I believe you in theory, but I'm not really willing to put my money where my mouth is. The call here is join the feast. Many of you are content with the scraps at the table when you are invited to have the fullness of the feast. And the next thing is the call must go out. If you have tasted this feast, will you be one of the messengers? Will you be one of these young women who are loyal to Lady Wisdom, who are going out in the high places and in the highways and the byways? Come, there's a feast. My master has prepared a table. The God of creation who has shown us his bounty has sent his son to show us his, his mercy. He's given us a church to be a family. And he has sent his spirit to preserve us for glory. Come to the feast. This is the call, the invitation in verse 4. Whoever is simple, here's what the young women are saying. Let him turn in here to him who lacks sense, she says. We'll get there in a moment. First, whoever is simple. Why the simple? We've talked about them earlier on in Proverbs, but these are the immature. These are the young. These are the ones who, who truly need it. The simple, they need direction, instruction, and correction. Not necessarily in that order. Why? Because they lack sense. And there's a call to them. I know you don't know well right now. I know you are struggling through life. I know you're trying to figure things out. Come, I've prepared a meal for you. This entire book, the book of Proverbs, is written to the simple. The naive young man who will get lured to the door of whatever woman makes the, the, the better appeal. This woman is the one, who's, the one whose door you need to go to. Jesus said, if you're going to come, you must come like a child, i.e. simply. You come without things figured out, you don't have it all together, and you trust your father because you are a simple child. Notice here what the simple must do. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Another word for turning, repent. The word repent means to turn. Simple, repent, turn in here. I know you're walking this way, but come in my door. And you only turn in somewhere, you only repent if you believe it is worth turning into. You only turn into some place that you, that you trust. This is the call. What the application is going to show us, the wise have already turned. The scoffer and the wicked are never going to turn. Simple, what are you going to do? Who are these simple who turn? Notice the language here, whoever is simple. Who are the simple who turn? Whoever believes. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but inherit eternal life. Uh, that's John 3.16. But John 7.8, or 7.37 and 38, 
is a very similar call. Notice what Jesus says. He is calling to himself. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. There's a connection of coming and believing. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is the call to the simple. Come to me, drink. I know that you're thirsty. I know that you're lacking. I have what you need. And if you come to me, you will drink forever. If you come to me in belief as a child, I will give you drink. So that's the call to the simple. Here's what they call, verse 5, back in Proverbs 9. Come. Their only requirement for the simple is to turn. They leave their simple ways, repent and believe these promises. There is food and drink here. Come to the master of the feast because his home is good and his food is good. Jesus brings together the simpleness of children and the call to him in Matthew 11. I told you we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the Gospels this morning. Matthew 11, uh, starting in verse 25. Notice how these come together in Christ's call and the way he addresses his disciples. Matthew eleven twenty five 25 through 30. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. This contrast is going to come up throughout the book, and it has already. This is not the truly wise. This is the wise in their own eyes. These are the people who think they've got it all figured out. The ones with all the understanding who don't need anything else because they are all they need. You've hidden it from them, but you've given it to the little children, i.e. the simple. Those who know that they're an empty cup. Those that know that they need to be poured into. And Jesus praises the Father for that. You've revealed it to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. What's this mean? That if you come to him like a child, no one can know the Father except the Son. No one can know the Son except the Father unless you are united to the Son. Then this this child has a new father and a new brother. And this family is yours forever. And here's the call. Here's the invitation. Simple yet profound. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice what's repeated there twice, rest. You know what is more appealing than food to a hungry man? It is rest to a weary man. How many of us struggle with rest? How many of us are working in our own strength, trying to earn or maintain our own salvation, or trying to hold together every fiber of our lives, and we're exhausted? The call is to feast. The call is also to rest. And this call goes out to the simple. 
What is this rest? What is this, what does he promise? Peace, abundance, relaxing at a feast. Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Wisdom promises nourishment and satisfaction. These two come up often in the scriptures, wine and bread. Why? This is what you gave to honored guests. This is what showed that you are welcome in their home. You break out the good, you make the good bread. You didn't break it out because there's no preservatives. And you break out the good wine and you welcome them in. This is what she is doing. But we know there's only one bread that nourishes and only one cup that satisfies. Turn to John 6. This entire discourse is after Jesus feeding the 5,000. And he's addressing the Jews who ate man in the wilderness. And he's telling them, that was amazing, but I'm better. I want to go to the conclusion of this section, going down to verse 53. This is John 6, verse 53. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man... And drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Show something that you already possess, and I will raise him up on the last day. Here's the connection. You come to this feast, you drink this wine, you eat this bread, it's because you have eternal life. And if you do, if you feast with me, this is a feast that lasts forever. I will raise you up on the last day for my flesh, this is true food. My blood, this is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is not just a call to eat and drink. This is a call to live. This is a call to abide, to remain with, to be with Christ for eternity. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Wisdom here is calling us to her master's feast, calling us to the bread that, that, that nourishes and the cup that satisfies. And so I want us to just take a moment and reflect and remember. Every time we approach the table, this is why we do this weekly. We do it next door in the fellowship hall after intercessory prayer every other week, but first Sunday we do it here. Why we do this weekly? Because every time we approach the table, we remember that Christ bids us to rest because his works are finished. We can rest in him because the work is done. We have a reminder of, our, of the, the past accomplished works. We have been saved. When we approach the table, we, are, we remember his abundant provision, grace upon grace upon grace every day. The same one who saved us sustains us. We have a present reminder of the life-giving flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. And when we approach the table, 
We look forward when we will drink and eat with him again in his kingdom face to face. The future promise of glory with him. Every time, and we are simple people, we need visible reminders. Every time we see body or, or, or body and blood, bread and cup, we're reminded Christ has finished the work for us. He is working in us, and he will complete what he began in us. This is why we call it a means of grace, because it is a reminder of God's grace to us every time we approach the table. And here's her conclusion in verse 6. Here's what this entire invitation boils down to. She's made her preparation. She's sent out her maiden. She's given her, her invitation Why should you come forward? Why should you partake in this? Leave your simple ways and live. Leave another word for repentance. Repentance is the way to life. Turn, leave. Turn from your old ways and live. There's death out there. There's life in here. Join the feast. Come to the table. Eat the flesh. Drink the blood. Leave your simple ways and live. The body and blood of Christ is life-giving. Streams of living water that never cease. Do you believe that? This is a call to be born again. This is a call to die to death and live life in Christ. But then what? Those who enter, what happens after this this new life? Walk in the way of insight. What comes after conversion but sanctification? Look at this. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Leave your simple ways, repent, believe in what you're turning into, and live. Once you live, once your eyes are open, you can walk in a new way of insight. Walking holy unto the Lord. This is a call not just to eat and live and that's it, but now you get to live in a new way. You get to live in newness of life. You get to walk with your eyes open in full insight. This is why we began with Colossians 3, and I want us to go back there. I want us to uh, flesh this out a little bit. Colossians 3 that we opened our service with this morning. I want to look at this, this same passage. This is the call. Simple, oh, how long will you be content in your simpleness? Turn from your simple ways. Put off the old man, put on the new. And if you have put on the new, verse 1 of chapter 3 of Colossians, if you have been raised with Christ, if you live with him, if you've eaten of his flesh, if you've drinking of his blood, seek the things that are above where Christ is. That's how you walk in the ways of insight. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. This is the call. Wisdom calls us into her home. In here, in this feast, these are heavenly things. These are eternal things. Out there, those are dead things. Those are the things of the world. But if you are in Christ, you have died. Repentance is just not a slight turn. It is putting to death what will kill you. 
For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. All of the scriptures come down to life or death. All of Proverbs come down to life or death. You go into the the home of the wise woman and you live. You go into the home of Lady Folly and you die. Where Christ, or when, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Notice, past, present, future here. You have been raised with Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ, present. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Past, present, future. Come to him, and it is all taken care of. Here's the, here's the instruction to the simple. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Therefore, pointing back to if you're in Christ, don't keep living like you're simple. If you've been invited into wisdom's feast, why do you keep doing the same foolish things that you were doing before? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. If Jesus came and took the wrath of God for these things, how could you continue in them? Amen. But in these two, in these, you two once walked when you were living in them. Here's the call. Walk in new way, in this new life, in the way of insight. But now, you walked in them before, okay, put them to death. But now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Keep that in mind, because that's going to be the center of our application. What does it mean to put on the new self? It's being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, in this feast, in wisdom's home, the home of her master, the great banquet, there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the great feast. This is the great invitation to every tongue, tribe, and nation. This is the call of Lady Wisdom. Call to come to her door. We looked at this earlier in Proverbs. She beckons you to her door. Next week, we're going to see Lady Folly beckoning you to her door. And now we're going to apply verses 7 through 12 to Lady Wisdom. I want to read these, um, give you a couple oversights, and then three application self-examination questions. Verse 7, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Remember Colossians 3. For by me your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. This is the heart of Proverbs so far. The wise versus the fool. Correction and instruction. Fear of the Lord being light and life. This is the missional aim of Proverbs. This is what it's trying to get the reader to do. Don't be wise. Or excuse me, don't be a fool. Be wise. Learn correction, learn instruction, fear the Lord, and live. The scoffer here, the wicked here, this is an unteachable, 
untrainable, and uncorrectable fool. He's already made up his mind. You can't tell him anything. He won't listen. And if you try, he's going to hate you even more. The wise are the righteous one in this section, always learning, always growing, always wanting to grow in the fear of the Lord. And the father says, son, which one are you going to be? What the text doesn't say, though, and we know from the fullness of Revelation, these are the only two options. So the simple, by default, are the fool. Apart from the house of Lady Wisdom, you are in death. Because Lady Folly's door is everywhere. Her gate is wide. Many will find it. Lady Wisdom, there is one door. It is a narrow door. Few will find it. As Jesus told us in John 10, I am the door. There's only one way into me. So before we go on to the feast, before we can think about going in, we must examine ourselves. This is a call to self-examination for the Son and for us. So I want to ask you, do I resemble the wise or do I resemble the fool? Do I want knowledge of the Holy One? Really? Do I desire the feast? Or does it sound good in theory? And yeah, I'm still making excuses and I'll get to it one day. Or have you tasted? Have you really been invited to the feast, but you would rather play outside in the dirt? You have tasted of the flesh. You have drank the blood. You have seen and known Christ's forgiveness for you, yet you are content with the peasants. You have been invited into the king's home and sat at his table. Yet your flesh prefers stolen water and bread in secret from Lady Folly. More of that next week. So, uh, I have three self-examination questions. And this is good for us. Even those of us in Christ, we need to be able to answer these questions that the writer of Proverbs is asking here. Number one, how do I take correction? Because, this, because if you correct a scoffer, he's going to abuse you. He's going to lash out at you. He reproves the wicked, incurs injury. Let's be honest. None of us like rebuke. None of us like correction. Our flesh reels against it. But if the Spirit is working in you and you look back, you are thankful for it. So, so as we think about children here, this is correction. What type of children are we? Are we the well-behaved ones who get spanked because they need it and then they, they learn and shape up? Or are they the ones who don't take discipline at all? You think about this, this dinner party, which child do you want to be around? The one who says please and thank you or the one who's throwing food across the room? We hate rebuke. We hate discipline until the spirit works in us and we realize, I'm a brat. I need to be corrected. I need more manners. I need to look more like my father. So here's the other thing with correction. Do I hate my old ways? And do I love the new life in Christ? 
Do I want to die? Do I want to put these things off? Do I welcome the Lord's correction? Do I welcome the Lord's conviction? Or am I content in being simple? Am I more content in the ways of the world? And I check my Jesus box once or twice a week. Where am I most comfortable? Am I most comfortable in the people of God and the things of God? Or am I most comfortable in the marketplace, in the corners, in the streets where Lady Folly is? And when we think about correction, here's maybe a hard one. Do I think repentance is for everybody else but me? Self-examination question number two. How do I take instruction? The word disciple means learner. A disciple of Christ is always learning, always growing. A tree that, that bears fruit and desires to bear more. This knowledge of the Holy One, this is a, a feast we continually dine on. I have learned about the living God and I want to learn more. I know him and I want to know more. I love him and I want to love him more. This is what instruction is supposed to do to us. And this is what we saw in Colossians 3. Where Paul says, We have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. This is the life of a believer, day after day, being renewed into the image of Christ. After the, the, the image of our creator, our knowledge increasing. Christians are learners. A wise man is an empty cup. A wise man knows I have nothing to contribute on my own. I need to be poured into. I need to learn. I need to grow. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be filled with truth. He doesn't trust his own understanding. A wise man drinks living water, drinks and is satisfied and says, yes, more please. Yes, more please. This is what I need. This is what sustains me. But the fool's cup is full. He will not take instruction he will not listen to correction. He has everything he needs on his own. You ever talk to these people? How infuriating is it to talk to someone who won't listen? How infuriating is it to talk to someone who's already got it all figured out? It's like, well, I don't even know why we're having this conversation. You, you don't even need me here. This is the fool. How arrogant must you be in our little pea brains to think you've got it all figured out and you can't receive instruction? How many people have I met? I've asked them about Christ and asked them, oh, I, I'm a Christian. Do you read your Bible? Well, yeah, I read it 10 years ago. I read that before, really. How many of you think, yeah, I read that before, I heard it before, I don't need any more instruction? How many of you have been reading your Bible? I, I want to see a show of hands. I'm just going to do this off the top. How many of you are reading your Bible for more than 10 years? How many of you have been reading your Bible for more than 20 years? How many of you have been reading your Bible for more than 30 years, 40 years, 50 years? Those of you who hand your, your hand up for 20, 30, 40 years, hands up if you're still learning every time you read. Amen. Jesse has two hands up back there. <laughs> this is a disciple. We love instruction because what does she say here? Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The guests who feast with wisdom proves to be righteous and wise by taking correction 
and instruction because he loves the fear of the Lord. Because he loves and fears the Lord. Here's our last application question. Do I fear the Lord? This is Proverbs theme verse from 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's reiterated here. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That walking in insight earlier, it's knowledge of God. Not just knowing about him, but truly knowing him. In the fear of the Lord. There is no wisdom, there is no repentance, there is no life, there is no feast, there is no belief without fear of the Lord. This is the literary and theological center of this poem. It is exactly in the middle. It draws our attention to the fear of the Lord. Everything comes in toward it. So there's a question I have to ask. Do you fear the Lord? Are you in awe of him? Do you tremble because he is so mighty? And do you fall down on your face because he is so gracious? Do you know his love for you? Do you love him because of his love for you? Do you love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? Because if you do, you will love his correction and you will love his instruction. And you know what great cost that feast that you eat in was paid for you. And you know of what great value it is. You would give everything for it because you get to know and have communion with the true and living God forever. This application in verse 11 and 12 gives us reason here. Verse 11, for by me your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to your life. In the Old Testament, understanding a long life is the standard. But in the fullness of revelation, we have all of the scriptures, we have all of the divine revelation of God, eternal life is the standard. Heed wisdom's call, and there will be no end to the years of your life. Wisdom calls you to Christ. He who sustains you this year will sustain you next year and the year after and when God stops counting years in eternity. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. This is the call. Live forever. This feast is yours. And if you have it, rejoice in it. Because every time you eat dinner, every time you put a a spoonful or forkful of food in your mouth, Remember, God gave you taste buds to remind you, I make good things. This meal is just a down payment on what is yours forever. Every time you eat, you should be reminded, God loves me enough to care for me today. And he calls me to a feast forever. Lastly, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. What is this? What does this mean? Basically, when you stand before God, you stand alone. When I ask people, many of you probably had the same experience, where are you going to go when you die? Who will pay for your sins? There's always a comparison. I'm not as bad as this person. Well, I did these things by my standard. When we stand before the Lord, we stand alone. You can't point fingers. You can't compare yourself to someone else. You can't uh, inherit their blessings or their, 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 their curses. But the wise who stands by himself and says, I I have nothing. I need Christ to fill me. 
The wise, when he stands before the Lord one day, he says, I have no reason to be here other than I ate of the bread and I drank of the cup. And the master invited me in. The fool says, I have everything. I I have need of nothing. He alone will bear it. Not just his admission, but the full weight of his sin. You either stand on the body of Christ, body and blood of Christ, or you fall without it. Let's pray. Lord, I hope a text like this is at the same time sobering and humbling, but also invigorating and joyous. Lord, we are fools. In and of ourselves, we have nothing to come before you with. Our food doesn't last, our drink doesn't last. Everything we have and are is wasting away in and of ourselves. We're fools. But there's a call. There is an invitation. Messengers have been sent out. The gospel call has gone out to the world, and the master is inviting us into the feast. I pray that you were in that feast. I Pray that you hear that call and you turn, O simple one. If you have, rejoice. Saints, if you feast in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. If he has stood in your place, if his blood has covered you, you are alive. You have eternal life. He has given himself for you. He is your high priest, intercedes for you and sustains you now. And he is preparing a kingdom with no end. It will be prepared for his bride, his people, those who hear the call of the feast and come in and dine with him. But in our days on earth, Lord, we fall so very short. We hate correction. We hate instruction. We do not fear you as we ought. May we humbly submit to your will. May we humble ourselves before you. May we be like Christ and lay ourselves down to please you, that others may live. Lord, as we respond this morning in praise to you, I ask that you work on hearts and minds here that we would be a sanctified people. We'd be people who walk in insight, that we would walk as the wise, that we would be carried along by your spirit, fully reminded of and founded in Jesus Christ our Lord. And may the wisdom of the scriptures always point us to him. And it is in his name we pray, amen.